You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Oregon, uh, Elmira, Oregon. <laughs> oh, we're starting out well today, and uh, it's an incredibly nice early spring day here in Elmira, as the sun is shining, and I would rather probably be outside working in the yard, but here I am doing my weekly uh, internet radio show, which is also, uh, you know, an opportunity as a town hall because we do take call-ins and, and you can take the topic where you want to go and I'll answer your questions and we can have a conversation directly. Just have to call us at 646-721-9667 and press one so that Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire knows you want to, talk live on the show and you're not just calling in to listen. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one so we know you want to get in on the show. Well, today I'm going to stick a lot in Salem and talk about the legislature, but I just want to mention briefly because it's in the news today that two restaurants are getting hugely punitive fines from Oregon um, OSHA uh, today. Uh, it was announced in the Florence area for partially reopening while the county was still in our, quote, extreme risk category. And I just have to say that I, I kind of, I'm surprised it's only two. I'm not surprised that OSHA decided to double the fines, basically, to send a message, which really talks about is that equal uh, protection under the law, um, and I, I truly hope the businesses appeal. But it just points out how unscientific, unfair, and unequally enforced the governor, OHAs, and OSHA's regulations are relative to COVID. You know, here you have restaurants in Florence that are over an hour away from the university where our hot zone in, in our county is, it's driving us into the extreme category. The same distance they are from Reedsport and Yahats, where both of those towns have in restaurant dining for the last month, while these restaurants couldn't compete with that. And they're the same sort of market, you know, on the coast there for, for business, you know, so people can choose to travel where they want. And uh, it was making it really hard on the businesses in Florence to be connected to Eugene. And our governor wouldn't budge on trying to re 
look at the metrics and whether or not accounting could be split or whether there could be some dispensation for having a state university that's testing their students in the dorms once a week, 2,600 additional tests a week. So you wonder why people are willing to, you know, do the civil disobedience and break the rules, particularly when you think about now that we're moving down to high risk in this county, and we're going to be allowed to have a little bit of in-restaurant dining, and additionally, you know, there'll be some changes in churches and other places. How arbitrary is it that a church is allowed to have 150 people? Theater is only allowed to have 50. Now, mind you, there's something called the Shed Institute here in Eugene, which was a repurposing of what was once the first Baptist church in downtown Eugene, when they built the new facility out on the edge of town and moved out there, the folks bought that building and repurposed it as a theater and music institution. Well, in the same sanctuary area that if it was still a church, they could have 150 people, now they can only have 50 because they're not a church, they're a theater. Now, mind you, I have not seen a theater audience break into song jointly, you know, very often, or, you know, take communion or anything else or, or you know, pass on, you know, friends, you know, friendship amongst each other. Uh, but I, I, you know, have seen that in church, you know, uh, churches, but, you know, here you know, how arbitrary is what we're doing here in Oregon? Not to mention the fact that studies have shown that there's very little difference, a statistically not significant difference in case rates and death rates between states that closed down and states that didn't. Countries that closed down and countries that didn't necessarily. It, they're just, you know, so here we are in Oregon, one of the very last states to reopen, one of the last states to reopen our schools, and we're finding the heck out of a couple of businesses that just happen to be in a county with a state university located in it, driving the numbers up. But I had to talk about that a little bit before I go to Salem. And if you want to talk to me about that, you can give me a call at 646-721-9887, or we can talk about Salem, because that's really what I'm prepared to do today, because Salem's on my mind because they had a hearing on Monday morning, canceled the evening hearing, so it limited the amount of speakers they could have. And of course, they tend to stack the, the committees that hold these hearings, um, tend to stack the testimony with who they want, not necessarily a representative sampling by support or oppose. Um, it's more about trying to put in the people they want to hear from. But there was a hearing on Senate Bill 554. And this is one of the um, quote unquote, um, you know, gun control bills that that's floating around up in the legislature. And uh, it it is really, uh, this one's probably one that really bothers me a lot. Um, the other bill that's very similar to it about preemption doesn't seem to be getting a hearing. This seems to be the one moving forward. But this bill would allow local governments 
And that includes school districts and water districts and a whole bunch of entities that you'd be surprised that are included in this. Give them the power to restrict a right that has been affirmed in the Constitution of the state and the country as one of your inalienable rights that you are born with, which is the right to self-defense using a firearm. No one would ever think about providing that same power to a library district or the city of Eugene to restrict your right to free speech or in what religion you're allowed to worship. Whether you could have a trial by jury or whether or not you could be treated differently based on some arbitrary characteristic, like maybe the color of your skin, why in the world would a senator propose a bill that would give local governments the right to trample on something protected in the state constitution after they swore an oath to protect that constitution? I supplied written testimony to this effect. And I asked those questions. Would you allow a local government to restrict free speech or how you worship and those various questions, trial by jury? I said, if you answered no to any of those questions, you should be opposing this bill. It should be dropped from any further consideration, but they're fast-tracking it. It's getting a work session tomorrow to mark it up. There's seven amendments proposed. And surprise, one of the amendments to attach an emergency clause to it so that you can't send it to the ballot. Basically, this would make it nearly impossible for somebody who has a concealed weapon license like myself, because I've had written death threats investigated by the FBI, they were that serious. And I carry it would make it nearly impossible for you to know where you're legal or not legal. It's a felony trap because you wouldn't know if you were on the grounds of some building that had been declared illegal to carry a concealed weapon. Yes, they're supposed to sign them, but you know, the, you know we all know how great signage does. And in fact, it, it, the way it, it vaguely describes in the vicinity of and the grounds of a public building It'd be pretty easy to be someplace on those grounds and not having seen any signage. So this is, it's a felony trap. It's stomping all over a constitutional right. If the legislature feels it is needed to restrict gun rights in certain buildings, which they have done, you cannot carry a gun into a, a courthouse. You know, and, and there's good reason not to, but you know, a lot of play, you know, at least our courthouse here in Lane County, everybody passes through a metal detector, and you know, the only people in that building that have a gun are law enforcement officers in the, in the course of their of their duties. So it, it's you know, at least there, you know, there's not somebody else that might be pulling a gun on you because they had passed that metal detector and all that to get in the building. 
but uh, it's, you know, if the legislature feels that there's other buildings that need to have that, they should pass that law at the state level so we all know equally where we're not allowed to carry. They don't want to take the heat for it or the lobbying around it. No, they're going to pass that off to local governments so that we can start hearing from every Tom, Dick, and Harry about which buildings and parks and wherever else we should be restricting people's right to bear arms. A constitutionally recognized right. It's not granted by the Constitution, by the way. Rights are only acknowledged under the Constitution. And, it, and not all rights were acknowledged. That's specifically spelt out that if they weren't specifically mentioned, it doesn't diminish them. But we have a bill in front of the legislature that would take that freedom away from you and make it so difficult to legally carry in this state. Not only that, you know, I'm gonna talk a bit about this more later in the show, but this bill increases the fees to get a concealed weapon license by double, 100%, from $50 to $100, and renewals, the same thing. So, you know, not only is it, you know, going to hand the ability to restrict your constitutionally protected rights to a local government, it also increases the fees. I mean, just there's nothing good about this bill. It needs to die. People need to contact their senators, and particularly their senators here locally that are on the Judiciary Committee. Senator Prozanski needs to hear from you. Senate Bill 554, bad idea. But, you know, that's not the only place we're, you know, the, the, the legislature's been proposing taking away your rights. You know, our local representative, Marty Wilde, represents um, an area around the University of Oregon and then Shed, Oregon, up in Lynn County, speaking of the Shed. But he's got this convoluted district, House District 11, that looks like the shape of a C. um, And it was drawn specifically to put enough of liberal Eugene in with a whole bunch of rural conservative Lane and Lynn County to get the liberal portion of Eugene have the ability to outvote the rest of that conservative area. Um, And that's why it was drawn in that shape. Um, But Marty Wilde has proposed two bills. One that's kind of funny, but still is about taking people's choice and freedoms away. He proposed a bill that was, you know, kind of innocuous in in the way it was was presented, which was it was supposed to make plant-based meals available in some of these institutions that um, folks don't have a choice in being in. Uh, and that's, you know, prisons and nursing homes uh, and, and a few others. Part of that bill, it also banned processed meats. Well, what's that include? Well, that includes ham for Easter at the local nursing home that might be a church-sponsored nursing home. That includes bacon. Now, 
my father-in-law's in a veteran's home. And it's a small veteran's home, you know, very private, only six residents there. You know, it's more like a private residence than it is like a home. But I tell you, as you get to age 96, which he is, your world narrows. And, and, and one of the things you really focus on is meals and food. And they look forward to that morning once a week where they get bacon for breakfast like you would not believe. And Marty Wildey's willing to take away a World War II veteran's bacon breakfast in that bill. Because, by God, even though that guy risked his life to save our freedoms from fascism, he can't make a decision whether he wants to put bacon on his plate in a nursing home. Marty Wildey's going to make that decision for him. Let alone what the prison riots are going to be like when they're not allowed to have sausage, gravy, and biscuits once a week. But no, you, you're not smart enough to make your own choices. We can't protect freedoms in this state. We have to invent ways we're going to take them away. Which gets to the most egregious bill that Marty Wildey put forward, which he withdrew sheepishly, which would have allowed the governor to take private property during a declared emergency and not compensate the owner for that property. Can you imagine how onerous that is, seeing the governor's kind of self-declared an emergency and kept extending that declaration of emergency around COVID? How much private property could she have taken in under that COVID emergency or during the wildfire emergencies? Whatever emergency she decides to declare, like some global warming climate emergency. That's the kind of bill you would think would come about in some South American country that was getting ready to try and nationalize a bunch of industries and take them away from the people that actually built and owned everything in that in those companies. Gravy. You want to talk about stomping on freedom, stomping on rights. The ability of a governor to take property from a private citizen and not compensate them. Now I can understand if there's a true need, there is in our constitution, the ability for governments to exercise eminent domain. But one of the key things about that is they're supposed to compensate for that taking. Representative Wildey's bill would have allowed that to happen with no compensation. What is it about our legislature and stomping on freedoms? Robin, I'm getting a little bit of static through. Is that you? No. No. Interesting. Okay. Maybe something with the our Facebook live feed or blog talk radio. Um, intermittent. So, um, that kind of covers some of the places where the legislature is going after your freedoms. And there's lots of places where they're going after them. I can't begin to to cover all the bills where they're trying to restrict them and, you know, 
landlord-tenant law, where they're trying to restrict them in other places, uh, where they're trying to uh, restrict your ability to negotiate your own compensation by placing these these prevailing wage laws in place and increasing the the, the how they're um, subdividing the state instead of having it in a lot of zones. They're going to try and make it you know bigger, small, less zones and bigger zones so that it's going to really hurt rural businesses. It's just insane what goes on up there. But probably what's getting really insane is is our legislature justice seems to have, you know, no issue in spending other people's money and they want more of it. You know, saying that they spend money like drunk sailors is an insult to the drunk sailors. Uh, you know, they're just off the rails. And, and it's not like they haven't had a lot of tax increases over the last several years. They want more. And probably one of the most egregious things they're doing right now is there's a proposed three proposed tax increases on the timber industry. Mostly in, in, in the idea of a severance tax, which is a tax they would pay on the value of the harvest when they make the harvest. And that's in addition to whatever income tax they might pay as whatever entity, entity you know, either the owner of the land, you know, gets that income. You know, from selling the trees to whatever company buys the trees. No, this is in addition to that. Just on the, the whatever the value of the harvest is, a straight, you know, one bill is a straight 5% tax. The other one is a varying 3 to 8%, depending on how the harvest is done. Of course, you know, the 8% if you use a, quote, clear cut. Um, and uh, it just, they're, they're looking to tax an industry it's reeling in a lot of ways. The people that own timber were massively impacted by this summer's wildfires, particularly the Labor Day fires. A lot of the timber that was burnt in those fires was private lands. So now when those guys are trying to salvage log and get partial value out of, you know, crops that are being forced to be harvested in a damaged condition early and they're going to have to replant, we're going to start taxing them on when they harvest decent timber when it's supposed to be harvested um, and, and that's supposed to help them and it's supposed to help the communities that are so impacted in those rural areas that are that are pretty dependent on the timber industry. What are they thinking about? Do they really need that income at the state after all the other taxes they've, they've, they've increased? Do we tax a wheat farmer on, the, on a percentage of the value of his crop when he cuts his wheat? No, we tax that wheat farmer on the income he makes, if he makes any, <laughs> you know, profit-wise, you know, when he sells the wheat to whatever wholesaler or whoever purchases the wheat from them. Trees are a crop. Why are we going to start, you know, this severance tax, a harvest tax? Are we going to do that for all farmers? The end result is it's going to cause people to 
get out of the forestry business and try and convert that land to some other use. I mean, they pay property taxes while the while the trees are growing every year. And we can talk about property taxes a little later in the program because I'm going to go over just how much tax we've had increased lately. But they weren't done in proposing a timber tax on these reeling rural communities that suffered from a, a horrible wildfire season. They also wanted to go after the microbrew industry that's suffering from the COVID pandemic. They proposed an increase in the beer and wine taxes under House Bill 3296 that would increase the beer tax by 2,700% and the wine tax by 1,500%. Think about that for a minute. I mean, even Measure 108 didn't increase the tobacco tax by those kind of numbers. Now, mind you, we have a really low beer tax and wine tax in the state. But is now the time to be raising those? And do we really need the money after all the other tax increases we've got supposedly to pay for all the things we were saying that the beer and wine tax is going to pay for? Not only that, they want to take some of that tax money and pay for political campaigns under House Bill 2921. Would provide a six to one match for small donations for political candidates. You want to be paying for some of these state representatives like Marty Wildey to get reelected with your tax dollars? And still yet to come, they haven't dropped the bill yet, but you know it's coming, is going to be some kind of carbon cap tax and spend scheme that's going to raise the price of every product in this state, because it's going to raise the cost of energy, which is built into every product you buy. Got to get moved from point A to point B with a truck, and it's going to drive the price of fuel up. It might have to be made with a machine driven by electricity, which is going to drive the price of that up. You know, it, it's, you know, that's yet to come. Not to mention that there are also a couple joint resolutions out there that would put measures on the ballot to change our constitutional limitations on some taxes. There's House Joint Resolution 13 that would basically blow up the 3% uh, cap on the increases in your assessed value for your property taxes and require that your assessed value be a minimum of 75% of your real market value, which by the way, in Lane County grew at about six and a half percent last year. And, and that constitutional cap of 3% held your, held your increase in taxes at 3%. So you can kind of see what happens when you get to that 75%, would have meant you to have it about a four and a half to 4.6% increase in your assessed value instead of 3%. So they're, they're trying to blow a hole in your property taxes. And then there's one that the governor proposed, House Joint Resolution 2000, uh, 203, which would allow real estate transfer taxes in this state 
specifically to pay for affordable housing projects. So that'll get built into the price of homes. You know, it may only get paid when you transfer, uh, but you know, it's going to get built. You know, the people that pay those transfer taxes pay them in the price of their home, and their mortgage will increase. Um, you know that. You know that doesn't get to what we've seen in taxes in this state over the last several years. And the reason some of these proposals for new revenue are so infuriating is the unrequited appetite our legislature and governor seem to have. For your money, like I said, promoting the program, your freedoms and your money aren't safe right now. They already went after them back in 2017 when House Bill 2017 of the same number passed, which was a big transportation bill. It included a 10 cent a gallon increase in gas taxes spread out over a couple years, a tenth of a percent payroll tax to support transit the statewide transit tax, a half percent tax on new cars, which was a sales tax, one of the first of its kind here in, in Oregon, and a $16 a year increase in your vehicle registration fee from 40 up to $56, and then phased in this year, a new fee based on how many miles per gallon your car gets on top of the 16. So I don't know if any of you have renewed a car registration recently, but it's gone up pretty big. And on top of that, they also included another sales tax on bicycles. So all of that was in one bill. So billions of dollars in tax increases over time. And then in the same legislature, they passed House Bill 2391, which imposed a tax on health insurance and coordinated care organizations and other providers supposedly to help pay for the Oregon Health Plan as it was overspending the amount of money it's getting from the federal government to support it because we chose to go on beyond um, the Affordable Care Act and expand our, our roles here in Oregon of who's eligible and uh, took that option, but we didn't really have much of a plan to pay for it. So uh, if you uh, pay any portion of a premium for health insurance from your employer, part of that's going to the state under House Bill 2391. So you know now you've had your all your cost for fuel and everything go up, which, you know, like I said, anything that increases fuel probably increases the cost of your groceries. Your insurance has gone up. Now, at the same time, in 2019, they also increased the state transient room tax by 80% from 1% to 1.8%. Now, mind you, not too many of us pay that. Actually, you probably do and don't realize it. When I go camping with my RV down on the coast, that campground pays a transient room tax, unless it's a state uh, park. But if, it, if it's a privately owned campground, they pay transient room taxes. If you rent a vacation rental down on the coast, you are paying transient room taxes. It's not just hotels. Transient room tax, 80% increase. 
Then they passed a corporate activities tax of 1% on any gross income over a million dollars earned in this state, which is basically a value-added tax, so it can be actually multiplied. So if somebody that builds the base parts here in the state earns over a million dollars, they have to pay the state that 1% tax. And of course, that gets built into the price of their product, which then gets bought by some other person that makes it into whatever you buy at the store and the store might be making over a million. So they're paying that. So it gets built into the price of a product over and over and over again. Very inflationary. Big tax increase. Supposedly on businesses, but we all know there's no one named corporation that writes a check to the state. Only the customers of that corporation, the stockholders, and the employees write that check. And of course, you know, just last year we passed Measure 108 here in this state and increased tobacco and e-cigarette taxes by a significant amount. You know, tobacco for uh, 20 cigarettes went from a buck 33 a pack to three dollars and 33 cents a pack two dollar a pack increase 10 cents a cigarette and that's on top of the dollar per pack federal tax so right now if you buy a pack of cigarettes in oregon you're paying four dollars and 33 cents in taxes with that pack of cigarettes make it's going to make a huge amount hundreds of millions three over 300 million every biennium for the state, but that's not enough. More gas taxes, health insurance tax, transit room taxes, corporate taxes, tobacco taxes. No, we got to do beer taxes, timber taxes. We got to raise property taxes. And speaking of property taxes, oh my gosh, what did they? Ha- what's happened to them locally here? I mean, I know Measure Five, Forty Seven, and Fifty you know, we're property tax limitations, but there's sort of kind of this loophole to them called bonds and levies and operating levies. And if you live in the 4J area, since they passed their $319 million bond and, and they have a local option levy on top of the you know, operating levy, and with the city of Eugene's bonds and taxes and all that stuff, If you're living in Eugene in the 4J area, your tax rate is, you know, supposedly it was capped at $15 max and it's supposed to be under that. No, your tax rate, if you live in Eugene 4J because of these bonds and and operating levies and all that, is $19.59 per thousand of assessed value. So that if you have the averaged median the median assessed value home, which the assessed value would be $217,774, and your real market value would be somewhere about $328,000 for Eugene. That's what the average, the uh, the median, sorry, the median is. Your total tax annually would be $4,266.93 or $356 a month. That's the quote, median home. And I don't know about you, but when's the last time you saw a house advertised in the Eugene real estate market in the 4J system that was for less than $328,000, if that's supposedly the median 
$356 a month just to pay the property taxes. So if you're trying to rent a home for your family and you're trying to rent that median home, your rent has to be at least that much just to make the property taxes, let alone paying the mortgage and interest costs that the owner of that home has and then the, the maintenance and everything else. It's no wonder rents are through the roof in this area. Yet, we've got a legislature that wants to put out a couple of, of constitutional amendments that would actually allow those to get even higher. Because you may have noticed that 217,000 is not 75% of 328. So you would see a, a, a jump right there in the assessed value, which would drive those, that, that tax bill up let alone then if you went to sell it and, and your buyer had to pay a transfer tax to support affordable housing, so you might either not get as much for the price or you have to, you know, it just, you know, make, might make it harder for somebody to qualify because they've got to pay that transfer tax on top of it. You know, it's just like, where, where do they stop? When is enough tax enough? When does the state and our local governments have enough money. And I didn't even get into the fact that the city of Eugene isn't just now putting your hand in your pocket in our pockets through through your property taxes. They've enacted a payroll tax that begins this year. And we've got more bonds coming on, you know, being proposed on on and in addition, now we've got an extension levy increase that's coming up in May. Where is it all going? You know, we, all these tax increases, you know, one after another, after another, after another, and they're proposing more. What is it being spent on? And what's it doing to our ability of businesses to operate in this state? While we're passing more and more restrictions and they're going to try and make the COVID rules permanent in this state, that's up, up for public hearings right now that OSHA is trying to make some of those rules that, are, that created you know, these huge fines for restaurants permanent. So as businesses are, are trying to decide, can I survive this state or do I need to, to, to go to Boise or someplace that's a little bit more business friendly, um, you know, what's going to happen? You know, as, as we, if we actually go down the road of a carbon tax of some kind. Can, can, I, actually, can I jump in there for a second? Sure. I was just going to comment on your uh, uh, transient tax because, you know, you're asking where it goes. Well, there's a wastebasket down on Gay. Oh, I'm sorry. That's supposed to be a, a flame. Oh. It cost them of $250,000 that came out of that funding. Yeah, don't get me started on the 1% requirement for art. You know, it's like, you know, uh, 
You know, it, it's, you know, the state knows best. You know, we have to spend money on art and we have to force people to do it through our taxes. We can't require an artist to actually produce a product that's commercially viable and that the public wants to buy. We now have to tax people and make it a requirement of a public works project um, in order for artists to survive. Hey, at least the other one in Springfield is a giant funnel, so that kind of gives you an idea where your money's going. <laughs> yeah, down there by the bus station. <laughs> yeah, trash baskets and funnels. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and picking a theme. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, not only is all this bad enough. We're having to have one legislature put a bill forth to keep the state from collecting tax on their stimulus check. Yeah, you know, I, no- I noticed you sent me a little note. Yeah, you know, don't forget yeah. the stimulus money. It's like, yeah, you know, remember that that twelve hundred dollars you got? Well, the state wants their share, their nine percent. Yeah, I just had my taxes done. I got the lowest refund that I've ever had. In fact, I came close to having to pay. Yeah, I I believe it. Um, you know, it just where does it all go? And they can't seem to understand why we have a housing crisis. There's actually a bill in the legislature that would make you know basically give quote super siting authority to local governments to approve um, shelters and. Uh, navigation centers for homeless people because it's so hard to, to get them approved because, you know, of course, not many people want to want to have that in their neighborhoods. So they, they get fought pretty heavily. And I'm, you know, thinking to myself, why don't you pass a bill that just allows regular housing to be built more easily? <laughs> Bypass some of those rules for once. Maybe there won't be so many homeless. But no, we're going to pass bills that are going to raise property taxes so the cost of housing goes up. Let alone what they're, you know, they've done with Measure 110 and are proposing to do with House Bill 2002. Basically to kind of make this a, a, a punishment-free state for criminals. And, and throw victims' rights out the door. I mean, you know, Measure 110, yes, drug crimes tend to be crimes against yourself for the most part. But what happens with drug crimes is they're usually fed with petty property crimes. Because last time I checked, most drug dealers don't, you know, sell their, uh, you know, their, their, their wares for free. So, and a lot of addicted people can't hold a job down. There are some that can, and they tend to commit crime to uh, to support their habit. But we made drug possession basically a um, non-felony in this state, which was one of the things that actually drove people into treatment was having a felony hangover. And uh, it's really uh, gotten to be uh, where, you know, we're going to really make it easy for people to continue their addictions in this state because of that change. 
We don't have a good way to interfere and, and force people into treatment. And I've been to a lot of drug court graduations, and I can tell you almost to a person when that person talks and speaks at the graduation that, went, that, that is graduating from drug court, will say, if not for drug court, I'd probably be dead. I'd still be homeless because it was that facing prison or, or go to treatment that made that decision because they said, I would never have made that decision on my own. And a misdemeanor fine is not going to force somebody to make that decision. They'll never pay the fine anyway. So, Robin, I see we've got Frank holding. Is he uh, wanting to get in? Frank, yes, he is. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jay. I just want to thank you. I just want first to of all you. for having this show, and I really want to apologize because I didn't get more people this week to call to listen to your show, which yeah. I will do by next week. I have so many points that you brought up that I wanted to comment on. I take up the rest of your show, and I just don't want to do that. And so I really agree with you on a lot, but I think the reason this state is taxing so heavily is because it's all involved with this oh, Agenda 2130 business. I really think that uh, they're in league with California and Washington and doing the same things to their citizens. Uh, I, have a question, I have a question about one thing, though, or a number of things, actually. Uh, is it – do people in affordable housing pay in property tax? I heard they do not. Generally, affordable housing complexes, um, if they're either owned by the government so they don't pay property tax, or if they're privately um, owned, they usually have a property tax um, reduction or, or waiver of some kind to help them be, stay affordable. So, yeah, okay. they're, 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 not, they're not paying their, their, the same property tax that you and I are. I see. I see. I, I sure thank you for bringing up all the points you did. I think I agree with you on all of this. So there's just no doubt about that. I don't understand why the taxes, ta the state is taxing so much. Like you, we came from the same place you did. We moved up here, and we love this state. But now I'm wondering what in the world has been going on to change it so much because I'm thinking of leaving. I cannot stay in a state that's going to tax me out of existence. Oh, do you have any idea how many businesses have gone out of business in our state or in our Lane County? It, it's difficult to track, um, partly because we don't have a business license in this county, so we don't know how many people have surrendered their business license and gone out of business. But um, all you have to look at is things like the, the hospitality and restaurant industry lost over 50,000 jobs last year Whew. in the state. So, it, you know, that, that alone says a lot and I can't imagine you know there, there's going to be a lot of businesses that are not going to survive this COVID thing um, and a lot of jobs have gone away permanently and, and that's why I feel and, that what they're doing is driving the middle class into a needy group rather than a group that's surviving on its own and that, that concerns me greatly yeah, it concerns me greatly, too. I think that one of the things that there seems to be this drive for is to get people to accept the fact that they need government to supply certain things to them. 
And one of the ways you do that is you drive people into lower income status where they have to have government support to get by, whether that's, you know, food stamps or it's some kind of uh, health, you know, publicly provided health care. That's what they're trying to do is get people to get the idea that government is 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 providing everything. And I, I kind of have to think that that's, that's the objective here. That, yeah, it, and we're it, thinking along the same line. I don't want to take any more of your time up, but I so want to thank you for this forum, and I'm looking forward to hearing more of what you have to say. Yeah. Thank, thank you for calling in, Frank, and thank you for listening. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's just a reminder, folks, that you can call in any time during the Bo's Nose Show at 646-721-9887, and just press 1 so we know you want to talk on the show because uh, that, that kind of puts a little little question mark up on our board and I can get right to you without having to have Robin pick you up and talk to you separately. But 646-721-9887, just press one so we know you want to get on the conversation. We'll talk about anything you want to talk about. We can talk about restricting your freedoms at the legislature. We can talk about increasing taxes. We can talk about COVID and arbitrary rules and what it does to people, you know, everyone agreed, you know, looking back now at the civil disobedience that went on, like crossing the bridge in Selma because of the arbitrary and unfair rules related to race. You know, everybody agrees with some of the, the civil disobedience that's gone on over the years in our country and other countries where that that's existed. But it seems like, um, you know, we're not quite there yet, but it, we're going to start seeing more and more of civil disobedience around COVID rules if they're not based on science, they're not fair, and they're not enforced arbitrarily and unequally. It seems like if you call attention to the fact that, that you're you might be breaking a rule, you get a different fine than somebody else. And frankly, with COVID, they're fining in such a different way than they do for any other safety, you know, occupational safety and health violation. I don't know of any business that jumps straight to tens of thousands of dollars in fines from OSHA for a first violation. You have to, you know, basically have done something hugely negligent that resulted in injury, yet we don't have any injury. There's been no, you know, with some of these restaurants that are getting fined or some of these salons that have been fined or gyms, no one's traced any transmission of COVID back to these businesses. Yet they're slapping these huge fines on them going straight to maximum penalties rather than progressive enforcement intended to result in compliance, which is supposed to be the model used at that agency. You're not supposed to go straight from zero to to $10,000 in fines. You're supposed to go warning letter, you know, small fines, you know, progressively larger fines, you know, and ultimately big fines and then threatened closures or whatever else, but it doesn't go zero to 10,000. 
and over rules that are just don't make sense. Churches are allowed 150 people, but a theater is only allowed 50. Yet the theater may be a far safer environment than the church when it comes to actual transmission. No logic. Tying a city of Florence to a risk level that's being created by something that's happening in downtown Eugene over an hour away. No logic. Keeping the state shut down when there have been significant numbers of studies that are coming out showing that the shutdowns are not an effective means of controlling this virus. Particularly with restaurants because it tends to make people have gatherings in their homes. Well, there tends not to be as the ventilation's usually better in restaurants, the distancing's better, not sharing servingware, foods prepared in a kitchen where people are using proper sanitation. I, I it nothing's making sense. Yeah, you know, it's something in this this state. The state government has just gone in a direction I just don't understand. We're going to curtail rights. We're going to curtail freedoms, but we want more of your money. We're going to create arbitrary rules and regulations that impact businesses, but we want to tax those same businesses that we've caused to lose 50,000 jobs in the last year. We're going to increase the tax on their product 2,700%. No wonder Deschutes Brewery was like, holy cow, this can't happen. You know, I, I rogue brewing, I, I can't I can't imagine any of these these breweries. What's it gonna do to Ninkasi? You know, what you know, what's that gonna do to some of our local businesses that employ a lot of people? And don't get me started on the fifteen dollar an hour wage that they want to slip into the COVID relief bill on the federal side. Millions of jobs lost based on the modeling if that gets implemented. Not to mention what it's going to do to inflation at the same time. And you know who gets hurt the worst by some of these tax increases? And this is the same group of people that wants to use these taxes to help supposedly the poor and and the the um minorities that don't hold power, whatever you want to talk about it. But who do you think gets hurt worse by a 10 cent a gallon tax increase for their car? The person driving the Toyota that's 15 years old or the person brought driving the brand new Mercedes? Who do you think that's a bigger part of their monthly income for? Don't forget toll bridges. Yeah. Yeah, it just it amazes me. Who do you think is getting hurt the worst by the tobacco tax? 
when it when it's been pretty well shown that the the lower your income bracket, the more likely you are to be addicted to to nicotine products. Yet two dollars a pack increase. Who do you think is going to get hurt by the increase in prices created by the corporate activity tax? And as it as minimum wage keeps getting ratcheted up here in Oregon, who do you think gets hurt when they automate the ordering system at McDonald's where it's all kiosk now? Who lost their job? It wasn't somebody that made $100,000 a year, I can guarantee you that. Who's going to lose their job as they automate the tellers in all the grocery stores? I mean, even Costco's put in self-checkout now. And you wonder how much, you know, how much further that's going to go. Are they going to have one guy stand there running six checkout machines at the same time versus one person running the machine and one person putting stuff in the carts, you know, two people for one checkout line? Twelve-fold increase in productivity. How long do you think you're going to be able to not have self-checkout if you keep driving the minimum wage up? How long before they start telling you to collect your own cart out of the cart corral to bring it into the grocery store because they can't pay somebody to go out there and collect carts? Yeah, it's just, and what happens to our youth that are looking for that first job that doesn't require any experience, but gives them the experience of showing up to work on time, focusing on work and not their telephone, and all the various work skills that you need to move up in the world to earn more than minimum wage. Ah, I hear the music, Robin. I told you I had a lot of notes and I wasn't going to get through them all on this show and we didn't quite get through them all. But we'll be back next week at 4 o'clock here on the Bo's Nose Show and we'll maybe do a little bit more about sale maybe something completely different or you can call in and take us where you want to go. But we'll be back here live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>